Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Ash Thundercliff, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's a, the one. That's a hell of a last name, man. That's a fantastic way to start. Yeah, a lot of people think it's fake. I had a trouble at the uh, at the border a few times. <laughs> oh no way, really? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be a fun uh, slash not fun situation to be in. Pretty um, much. Yeah. So tell me, Ash, for people who aren't familiar with you per se, what do you do? I'm a environment artist in the video game industry been in the industry for about five, pushing six years. I uh, started off my career at Rockstar Games in the UK, mm-hmm. worked on Red Dead Redemption 2, and then took a hop over to America and started working at Ready at Dawn on uh, Lone Echo 1 and now Lone Echo 2. Ah, and, we're, and you're in Irvine. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right up the street. We'll have to entice you here to Laguna Beach. Have you made it to Laguna Beach yet? Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Really, really yeah. nice. Yeah. Where'd you go when you were in here, in this part? Just the main uh, beach? Or? Yeah, just wandered around the beach. It's a beautiful area. It's one of the nicer beaches. I like that. It's kind of a little quaint little town. Um, yes. Super, quaint. super nice. Yeah, I mean, like, it's you, you look around Irvine, it's all, like, cookie-cutter crazy, oh, you know? know. You go to the other beaches, and it's all too grand and stuff. You go to Laguna Beach, and it's just like these little tiny shops and stuff it, it's nice you know? it's true yeah yeah we go to irvine actually almost every week for hindi classes so um my kids can learn hindi so oh wow talk to their um their grandma and, and uh, aunties in india and uh yeah it's always like it's just different i like i love my town yeah so how long you've been doing the job and then how long have you been studying this so yeah job wise around five to six years now and then studying, I started at university. That was a three-year course, but I guess you could even go deeper than that. I originally just started out creatively on some really weird online game, just like making cool images for people on Photoshop. And like it kind of went from Photoshop to 3D to games, I guess. You know, I was in some group, some Facebook group, some marketing class I was taking, and somebody was asking us what we do what I do. And I'm like, you know, train game artists and stuff like this. I train character artists, environment artists. And they're like, oh, that sounds cool. What is that? That's way I don't really even understand that. And I'm like, well, you know, you make things in the game, you model and you do all of this stuff. And then they shot back. Oh, that's a big business. My son used to be into that. But then he got a responsible job in a girl. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, what the fuck? I just took time out of my day to explain to you this cool thing I do. And you have to be an asshat right back like that. Like, what, what, what yeah, did it's I crazy. do? You know, it, it actually reminds me of uh, one of my favorite stories to tell people, which is um, when I was at school, I was like, let's chase the money. You know, and I was like, I'm going to be a dentist. Right. And I started like t- uh, planning my courses out to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. But then um, I slowly started to realize that I love video games and I could maybe do that as a job right yeah, so i started maybe. looking it up and decided to figure it out and like oh this this a career in this mm-hmm. so one day they bring in a careers officer 
And like each student gets like 30 minutes to an hour to discuss with that career person <laughs> what path you want to take. Yeah. And they'll provide you with information and statistics and yeah. all this good stuff. And you're like, yes, this is going to be great. I can speak to them and get some information. And I told them like I was going to take all these creative paths, you know, like art, computer work, media studies, things like that. And she goes, oh, you don't want to do that. I was like, what? She goes, no, you, you, uh, you need to be taking business and history because you're good at those. And I was like, no, I, I want to do video games. I want to make art for games. And she's like, all right, well, if you want to get on. Yeah, it was, a, it was a longer talk than that, but she eventually came to me and she's like, well, let me look up. She starts like mashing some keys and getting some information. And she's like, well, you know, there's not really that many jobs in, in video games. You, you'd ha- uh, the only real uh, companies doing it is you'd have to move to America. And it's only really Pixar who's making games. And at that point, I was like, <laughs> you, you lost me at this point. You can yeah. say what you want. I ain't listening. I'm going to do my <laughs> own thing. Pixar. <laughs> only Pixar makes games. Oh, All these yeah. students wasting their time. Oh my! Sorry, God. Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, shoot. Sorry, guys. Kept it as long as I could from you. <laughs> what a joke, man. So, yeah, crazy. you know, what persevered for you? Because, you know, a big part of the thing for me, I do a lot of these conversations. These conversations are, are really for me. I had to think about it the other day. And, and I'm really talking to that, like, dude or that girl that's, like, wants to do this stuff. But they're all by themselves somewhere. And they barely they have no support network because everybody's like well you're not going to get a responsible job yeah there's johnny he's the artist yeah 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 and uh he's the creative one he's very emotional don't talk you know be careful what you say around him and um you know there's all these like there's these people out there so i do this podcast for those people that are you know like me when i was younger and you know i was the artist and all by myself trying to figure this out what did you do that kept you going you know, how'd you plot the path? You, you had a seed deep inside. You knew you could do this, but at the same time, you must have had some doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at my family history, my dad was a butcher. He worked his own business with his with his mom. Mm-hmm. And that was the family business was butchery. Yeah. Uh, I actually spent two years working there. And then my mom's side, she's always been a hard worker doing nothing degree wise, but just like working shops, working care work, working with the elderly, like so I never had any history in my family of like art or any form of schooling background. Everyone just yeah. kind of went straight into work. That was kind of the thing back then. So when I said I wanted to go to university, my family were just like, it doesn't matter what you take. We're just happy that you're choosing a different mm. path than we did. So that was pretty good to just get that kind of support from the family. But they That's don't awesome. really know anything about that industry. So, you know, it's just me just kind of pursuing a path. So there wasn't, this, there was the emotional support through that, but not really the physical support through the art, you know, with artistic parents, right? And that yeah. helps push them through that. It was just a love of uh, making things in Photoshop and things like that, which kind of pushed me into that career. I, I mentioned a bit ago um, about this. There was this online forum game. It, it, no one in this forum probably even knows this. It's it's called mm-hmm. Infamous Gangsters. Everyone is like, it's all forum-based, click like to loot someone and stuff. And all I did most of the time was just make my money in that game through just making icons for people, avatars for people, just all mm-hmm. that start stuff. So I just realized I really liked doing that. And then it progressed and 
more and more video games seem to have uh, creative aspects to them. Mm-hmm. The biggest hit for me was Little Big Planet. That game hit me so hard. Like I, I loved playing it, but then after I'd finished the game, I unlocked all this cool stuff and started getting into building levels. Rush home from school and I just start making levels in in Little Big Planet. They weren't great, but like I was trying to recreate scenes from Toy Story, you know, where he jumps on the the car and does the loop to loop and he like flies and stuff, and then recreating other scenes from movies. And that's kind of what I do now, right? It's just I, I I've always kind of loved doing that that building stuff, even to the point of like you look at Minecraft or Legos. They're both the same thing. You're just building environments. And 3D in games just seemed to be a natural progression of that. Just my love of building and creating. It's just another medium. And I just kept going through that. And I guess that's kind of what pushed me. Is just I watch a movie, I take a photo, or I see something in the street, or a poster, or a video game. I go, man, I really want to make that. And yeah. that's kind of why I do it. As an environment artist or any artist, you probably have your backlog of like a thousand projects and got so far into and you've stopped doing it. But like that passion is still there to just like keep jumping into mm-hmm. another project and going and going and going. And eventually you'll finish one and that's where it ends up on your portfolio or, or at the end of your project. But that's kind of it. I, just a love of what you're doing. And if you love what you're doing, you're going to, that should hopefully motivate you, I guess. Yeah. Why do you love it though? Like, you know, what drives us to this? What is this deal all about as opposed to the dentistry and chasing the um, the money? I guess as an artist, you kind of get driven by that satisfaction of seeing people's reaction to what you've made. Going back to a kid, you know, you make this cool Lego house and you show it to your parents and like, wow, that's amazing, you know? And then like, Minecraft, I feel like, is is the virtual equivalent of, of Lego. I got into that super early when when it was in the alpha stages, and my friends would all go do the digging, you know, yeah. finding yeah. all the materials. I'd be building the town. They'd, they'd be bringing the resources to me. I'd be building the city. And then, you know, they'd do their mining. They'd come back up, and then uh, they'd see what I've built because they've been in the mines so long. And they'd be like, whoa, that's so cool. That's incredible. Like, we can't wait to explore this and look around. And when I finally finish a portfolio piece, just getting to hit that publish button on ArtStation or Facebook or Instagram or Polycount, like seeing that that love of your work and people wanting to like find out more and kind of engage in it. And then eventually when you make a, a video game, just seeing people play what you've made it, it's it's that real sense of achievement and just making people happy with what you do, I guess, is what helps that. Yeah. How'd you talk somebody into paying you for it? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> freelance is always a hard thing, right? Uh, I mean, I've not really done much of it, mainly for the, I did some 3D motive stuff, which is most of I've done of, of um, free, uh, getting someone to pay me for it. But it's just like, Sometimes you just got to draw the line and realize that your stuff is worth something and making them realize that your stuff is worth investing in. How did the process go for getting the job though? Like what was the first job like? So luckily my university I went to, my Mm -hmm. lead lecturer had um, a few contacts in industry. 
and he would bring people in and they'd talk about stuff and they they kind of like what I'm doing right now is yeah. you kind of giving back right you're you're mm-hmm. teaching people the way and luckily one of them sat down and talked to me about what I'd need to rockstar games yeah. and really just kind of give me that process and when I finished university I actually didn't think I was good enough for such a big label so early on I actually applied for a job to work on Pepper Pig or something like that, some oh, yeah. mobile game. I, I got rejected for that so quickly. And that, that was a huge setback, but that guy eventually messaged me. He was like, have, have you applied for a job at Rockstar yet? Like, they're looking. I was like, do you really think I'm good enough? You know, because it's always that self-doubt. Wait, You've just, you know. Yeah, but you got rejected from Peppa Pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is probably didn't make you feel very good. Because, you know, from the outside, it's like, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah, and, it's like, but yet, yeah, but yet, you're a job candidate for Rockstar. Yeah, it's it's just a self doubt, right? Yeah, you just I love finished that. university and you're fresh off the block. You've got all your all your artists, and you're just obsessively looking at that portfolio. But one thing I started to realize over time is those people are the professionals. They're the mm-hmm. top of their game. They've been in this mm. industry so long. If you're trying to match your portfolios to theirs, you're always going to be disappointed because they've yeah. been in there for five to 10 years. They know the inside out and they've been in it far longer than you. So to expect to get to the same level of them in three years is just insane. And you need to realize that some studios actually look to invest in younger artists to fill roles you know you're not going to have the most glamorous job to start off with you know you'll be doing support work for people you know someone makes a building you might do a little bit of a dirt pass on it or or like do some fix-ups or optimizations but you're learning whilst you're there and eventually you start to realize that there is a ladder you've got to climb mm-hmm. and you're going to be at the bottom of that ladder and you just got to hope company has room for you and wants to help you grow. And luckily for me, that that was Rockstar Games. They, I applied for the environment artist position. They they rang me up and said, "Look, you're not quite to that that quality yet, but we'd like you to fill a position called an art development assistant, which is exactly what it sounds like. You are assisting the primary environment artists, and that's pretty much how I got in. And that's kind of what you got to look for. Is just like companies which have that room for that, I guess. There's no harm in applying, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Is another worry is you apply for a company, you look terrible, you know, you've got a bad portfolio, and they they reject you or don't reply to you. And you're like, now I'm on their blacklist. They'll never mm-hmm. get back to me. <laughs> but in reality, is they're going to look through so many portfolios that yeah. they're probably not even going to remember you anyway. Mm-hmm. And when you've done that kick-ass piece of your portfolio, and you apply several months to a year later, they're going to be like, awesome. Or if they do remember you, they go, wow, this guy improved in a year. Yeah. I wonder what he could do for us. And so you just got to take that leap of faith and just apply. Because I wasn't going to apply to Rockstar. And, you know, I was applying to Peppa Pig. How grateful are you that they they said they passed? Oh, my God. I, I think that's that almost, almost daily. Like, <laughs> what would my life be like? if they accepted me for that job position, because it was only like a month after that, that I got the phone call saying, we want you in for an interview to Rockstar Games. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I ran into my parents 
they were like watching a movie in the living room or something like that. I ran in. I was, I, I was just shouting like, oh my God, I, they want to speak to me. You know, I was so excited. That's cool. That's a great story, man. I love that. And it's, it's so neat because you did the, the thing you thought you were supposed to do. You were supposed to, you know, wait your turn and try to be good and, and, yes. you know, yeah. grow on your own and you're not going to take any chances. And then, and that route didn't work. <laughs> you just got to get good at self-promotion. Some people might think of it as like being um, arrogant and just wanting to shove your art in people's face. But you are a business at the end of the day. And you don't tell Nike off for putting their poster on the bus stop, do you? You go, cool, that's a nice pair of shoes, you know. And that's hopefully what you want to do by, you know, you post up. The, the amount of times I see portfolios on ArtStation, right? They look incredible, far better than mine, right? But they've got like, 50 followers and like a couple of likes on their image you're like this is incredible how is no one talking about this and you realize like you, you maybe do a search on them or something yeah you realize wow they they haven't posted their stuff anyway they just kind of put it up didn't put any tags on the anything like that no one knows you exist until you tell you've got to get yourself out there and so not what, worry about some- the backlash What's some best practices for posting on an art station? I find that art station's so saturated now. Yeah, right. It's super difficult to stand out. Like you post your stuff and in latest, it's gonna drown, right? There's mm-hmm. there's so many people posting bad drawings or like some 3D box which they've thrown in a renderer. Yeah. And your stuff's gonna get flushed so quickly that it's it's gonna be a struggle for you to stand out unless you've got the follower base. That is really just going to like, they'll see your notification and be like, oh my God, Torfric posted and just jump on that and insta like it. Yeah. You're not going to have that. You're going to have your zero to 50 followers, right? Yeah. So the way I find is that you've got to act fast and do what I call a carpet bomb, I guess. You have your basis where you post your artwork. So you post it on Facebook groups like 10,000 hours or like Mm -hmm. if you made something with substance, post it in the substance group or in Quixel in the Quixel group. And, you know, Facebook always has that awful compression. It destroys all images. So make sure you post your art station link. Oh, if you want to see high resolution or work in progresses, encourage those people to go on your page. Don't give them everything. Like here's two or three images. If you want to see some breakdowns and materials and, and workflows, go to my art station, here's the link. So then that drives them straight to your art station. They see you have more cool work. They give you a follow, they give you a like, and, and you start to build up that base. You've, then you've got, as well as Facebook, you've got the polycount stuff. I don't know if they do still do the polycount recap. I don't know if that's still a thing. But if you made it into that, that drives traffic to you. Then if you made something in Unreal Engine, you post it in the, in the Epic forums, you post it in the polycount forums, you post it even on biggest things I did was I, I tagged uh, Unreal Engine on my hallway piece I made and that just blew up on, on their Instagram. I was like, oh my God, it's like thousands of likes. I, I don't even understand. They just saw my hashtag, decided to repost it and that just drove a, a load of traffic to me and, and my art station. So that's why I call it the carpet bomb because it's like a fast dropping of posts across mm-hmm. various locations. That's great. I've seen Jonathan Bananas do that. And, uh, and it's great. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because it's like, 
I'll get a post. He'll come actually onto Artist Awake, which is my network. And he'll drop a couple of things in there for people. And then I'll see something on Facebook. And I'm like, man, I love this because it like reinforces Jonathan. And I love Jonathan. So it's like it reinforces him, reinforces his work and keeps him kind of present in my mind to where, you know, I can, I some, I have a hard time with people's names sometimes, but it's like, I always remember him. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's great. So along those lines, somebody's just starting out. So I'm thinking about this for you, Emily. Emily is, of course, you know, she's in the weeds. She's in the mix. Like, you know, there's this thing and there's this problem and I probably got to do, you know, I got to light this area here. And, and, uh-huh. you know, she's only, she's seen a lot of the problems, right? Like we all, all do. But what does she do now? You know, does she go and hit like Facebook, as you said, the groups? So what, 10,000 hours? I don't know if that's character or environment, but where, what are some good Facebook groups to hit? Yeah, I mean, I usually just hit 10,000 hours with that stuff. It seems to be like a global place full of of anything artistic, where it's 2D, 3D, uh, character sculpts, environment models props you know it it seems to be a happy place for anything art basically great Um, so that's what i mainly use for facebook and then if i'm using unreal engine or or substance or quixel or something you know post it in there i'd say this is actually something i struggle with even though i i try and self-promote as much as possible and it's trying to overcome and it's it's posting work in progress shots, right? Because you're so vulnerable at that point. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're working in a studio or something, you're you're sat at your desk, you're working away, and you're always scared of that one person who hovers over your shoulder. Because when you're working, unless you've been in the industry for a crazy amount of time, you're never going to be that guy who just makes something and it's right. Like uh, I mentioned his name before, but Torfric, you watch one of his streams and he'll just make like a helmet in like 30 minutes to an hour or or a gun or something like that. He just knows what he wants and he makes it. And, you know, starting out, you don't, you'll have an image, but that image can only tell you so much. And you've got to like figure out the blank spots. And sometimes when you post something, you're always worried of that one person who um, latches onto it and goes, why did you do it like this? Or why does this look blobby? Or I hate uh, that yeah. guy. I hate and, him. Yeah, I remember I, I was working on this laundromat a long time ago. And that was when I started posting work in pro. And uh, this one guy, so pointless comment, he, he messaged on there saying, who has a five-bladed fan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's what my reference is. Like, I looked at laundromats and I found a five bladed van. I thought it was cool, so I put it in. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Do you have any critiques? I don't know. Anything other than the fan? Bad person for a five. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I was, I was just blown away by it. So, like, I, I still to this day struggle to post work in progresses, but if you can push through that, and I have done occasionally, even if you're scared of posting out there, speak to colleagues or professionals who you're comfortable with and just be like, what do you think of this? You know, mm-hmm. and, and make sure it's always at a point where you're happy to show it. I mean, I, I'm sure if you posted this in any of the groups, like, you know, that they, they don't understand it was whip, but like it, it's looking fantastic already. So much potential. Yeah. That's a good yeah. point, though, is that you want to post when you are in the comfort zone on it. Mm-hmm. and not being vulnerable, right? Yeah. You know, we forget it, this 
quality of work is advancing so fast. Tools are advancing, you know, and the games that we see and play and that people are focused on, you know, that stuff's all, you know, it was all done a while ago. So yeah, you know, so that was actually a scary thing for me. When I finished university, the PS4 literally just came out and we just switched from some terrible specular workflow to mm-hmm. PBR. And like that just punched me right in the face. I was like, my whole portfolio is out of date. Everything <laughs> I've made is now a generation behind. I was just yeah. like, I was petrified. Suddenly Photoshop was irrelevant and you had to make a decision at that very point, you know, like where you're trying to choose between getting HD, DVD, or Blu-ray, like, which one do I get? And that was Substance or Quixel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because there was Substance Paint or, or Dido. I was like, well, I already yeah. know Photoshop, so I'm going to... Quixel's going to be the one everyone goes with. Everyone's going to use Dido. Oh, man, I regretted that decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, this. like, I, I finally finished my portfolio piece for <laughs> Quixel, you know, posted all on the... Everyone's happy with it. Yeah. And then suddenly, like every update of Photoshop, it kept breaking my Quixel. I was like, what is going on? And this is something they actually brought up a while back is that they're moving away from their Dito Photoshop hybrid thing because like Photoshop just wouldn't work with them. They just wouldn't respond to them. And so they're making their own tools now, which is where like Quixel Mixer and stuff comes in. But mm-hmm. yeah, first of all, that initial having to now forget everything i just learned about games art and then well not everything but like a whole new texturing pipeline and learning what pbr is and what is this roughness sheet like i don't understand this like doesn't it work like a specular no it doesn't you're stupid what's a metalness map and how does this make sense we didn't get taught this this is extra texture memory right why are we doing Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. and yeah then i eventually like finished that portfolio piece and then it was like everyone moved to substance. And I'm like, God, I'm back at square one again. My work is irrelevant. God damn it. And yeah. then and then what happens? Oh, UE4 updates. It goes from UDK to UE4. So I'd spent all this time learning UDK. And then uh, I spent some time learning quick CryEngine. People started moving towards CryEngine. I was like, man, yeah, this is going to be great. And then suddenly CryEngine just died in the darkness like, <laughs> died in I darkness was, it did <laughs> and and now like everyone's on unreal engine 4 oh my god mm-hmm. i'm behind again i kept making bad decisions but in the end of the day they weren't bad decisions i still made some great portfolio pieces that i still learned a lot of things and you yeah. gotta remember like you're always gonna be learning there's not a time where you're ever gonna finish a piece and be like my workflow is done i know how to do this now yeah you don't <laughs> there is going to be some new software, some new engine, some new something that is going to punch you in the face and you're going to have to learn it. I like to remind people that that's actually where your opportunity is. While it's a pain, it's actually the seat of a mm. lot of opportunity because there's going to be people that are just flat tired of this and they won't pick up that stuff. And when they drop out or they don't, pick, you know, it, it opens up. And it's, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of studios do enjoy supporting talent and getting talent in mm. early at junior levels and helping them grow because they know you got to have somebody hungry for learning. And that's an opportunity. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's hard to learn it, at my age, you know, running a business, but I, you know, I, I still have a love for it, but it is, it's, it's not 
necessarily you, fun you all the time. Start to see a lot of seniors who um they are tired, like they just want to have their workflow and their tools and it just to work. And <laughs> you know, they've been in the industry for like 15, 20 years. Yeah. And I get it, right? Learning takes time and energy, right? But that's where you guys can stand out is just like if you roll up into a company and you know, like when Substance Design, uh, one guy who was great to follow was uh, Richard Piper. He's a texture artist at Naughty Dog right now. But he was one of the Traveler's Tales or something like that. They they made the the Lego games. And he, he saw this Substance Designer software just come out of nowhere and he just started learning and learning it and posting tutorials up. And he was like one of the initial guys to go to for learning stuff. Mm-hmm. And like he went from his first company to his second company, his second company being Naughty Dog. <laughs> what so many people strive towards. And it's because he had that desire for this new software. And a lot of companies were like, we don't know how to use this software. Mm-hmm. If you bring someone in and they know it, it's just like you stand out so much more. The amount of times like I've mentioned... um marvelous designer to people and they're just like what is this and like it makes super awesome cloth yeah like you, you show them how to use it and like suddenly you you found yourself in a important role in that company yeah we were just uh today in class we were looking at how you can use it to make garbage bags right just <laughs> that is exactly what i did with my detroit environment so many yeah. people ask me how i make those trash bags yeah. and it it's so easy you know what, though? I see so many people make trash bags wrong because they don't understand that you have to make things as if they're made. They make a single square plane. Mm-hmm. They put a bunch of trash inside of it, and then they stitch all the edges together, and they have this weird-looking ball. But to get those nice little angular flicks coming out, mm-hmm. it's, it's two planes stuck together. And all that trash will build up in the middle, and then you get those nice little, nice little flicks. But people don't don't get that. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things I love about environment arts, because I, I love character arts, and, you know, that's actually where my home is, is in character as a sculptor. But the thing I love about environment arts is you get, like in character, you learn the anatomy. So you learn yeah. the anatomy of a human. But in environment, you're learning the anatomy of everything. And yeah. that's, that's awesome. Because, like, if you're going to do substance, you got to learn the anatomy of, like, of rock patterns and how noise it, how the noise actually functions and layers and then the type of rock and is it shale and how does it fracture and all of that stuff. And it's like, and there's so many rocks, man. There's so (laughs) many, so many, you know, when I made that, uh, that bomb image, that um, wooden like shack looking environment, if you look at it, you'll notice. Yeah. Yeah. That (laughs) um, most of the wood looks the same. I was like, man, I made a really good piece of wood. I no longer need to make wood anymore. What a stupid, stupid thought. <laughs> no, there is so many types of wood. So many. You look at a grain and like you're trying to analyze damn flooring. My girlfriend gets so mad at me when we travel because it's just like I'm always taking photos of stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah, I went to Alcatraz. Incredible uh, place. Yeah. Everyone is taking photos of the jail cells and the idiot is taking pictures of the rain pipe with some nice grunge behind it such nice grunge <laughs> nice. i was like what's this guy doing taking pictures of, of a pipe is he breaking in or something you know that's great so they're all facing the other way looking at the jail yeah. cell you're like you're facing the entirely other direction 
taking a picture a of a drain pipe the against the wall. Yeah. That's your that's how they escaped. That's the excuse. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Like understanding how paint uh flakes off, you know, as it, yes. as it heats. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can fake it and you can kind of pull that stuff together, but I think the great thing about environment art is the craft of just learning that and developing your, yeah. your ability to imitate that, you know. That's awesome. You know, one of my favorite things is uh, a lot of people it. just throw tile and textures on yeah. things and just like they don't realize that the real art of creating an environment is putting a story in there and it can be the smallest of stories mm. and it's putting a bit of edgeware on a banister or, or something like that. And if a player goes up to that, they understand that it's why it's worn is because people are walking and using it all the time. If you go to my interrogation scene, I have a table. I don't even know if you can even see it, but I spent so long doing it. I started doing a bunch of edge work where the, as they were signing stuff, it would scrape along and chip the paint of where the handcuffs were rubbing against the table. Yeah. And if you catch the specular on it in the right angle, you're going to see that break. And it, it's just one of the things where not many people are going to see it, but if it was in a video game and if you're in that seat, you're going to see that rubbing away, that damage on that edge. And it's yeah. just, it's so stupid and so simple. And you get obsessive about those things, but just giving it that little thing. And I left the handcuffs like, why would it be locked? You know, like someone's either picked it open and got out, like the doors open, or mm -hmm. maybe they were led to another room. It's, it's a very little simple story. It might not mean much to some people, but you know, you cater for that 1% who's like, that's a nice little touch and it's a nice yeah. little story. That's awesome. For me, that's really kind of the amazing and fun thing about, about environment art. So when we're looking at that, that also speaks to some of the complexity because there's literally so much you have to do as an environment. Yeah. Artist, right? I mean, it's as a character, it's like, you know, and I know anatomy is hard, but it's like, I just have the human I have to learn. And from the human, I can extrapolate creatures and animal and all that stuff. But I mean, there's a, so much you got to learn. So what do you recommend today? Like, what do you think is important for somebody who's a, they want to be an environment artist and they want to be junior or they'll take below junior, but they just, they're looking to do this. What do we need to focus on? Do we focus on modeling props? Do we focus on building environments? Do we focus on putting together some substance uh, designer stuff? What do we do today? So that's a great question because the industry is kind of making a big change to trying to be more like the movie industry. Mm -hmm. And the movie industry hires people based on specializations. And that's something we really focus on at Ready at Dawn. Mm. And why I love working at that company is because everyone has a part to play and you get to work with so many incredible people. You're never just like left in your own to just focus on one thing. Mm -hmm. You're part of a you're a bunch of little cogs like really feeding into this big cog as like a small focus team. So now you'll have your texture artists and you'll have your 3D modelers. That's what we have at our studio. So I'll be working mm -hmm. alongside someone. So any of these Lone Echo pictures, I did all of the modeling for it, but then someone else would do the materials and the texturing and figuring out the, the ribbon patterns and stuff. So the other part of it is, as I said, the, the texturing. So I like to do texturing in my free time. I still love that part of it. I like to make sure that I have materials on my stuff. But that's a key focus area. So you're seeing a lot of portfolios now, which are purely materials. 
because studios are looking for that now. They need to populate these worlds with high resolution textures and detail and materials that that tell a story. You know, you you look back a few years ago and you're looking at textures that are like two, five, six. You can grab an image off the internet, throw it through Crazy Bump or XNOM or some other terrible software and just like give it this weird bumpy noise and people go, cool, that's grass. Cool, that's a wall. Like I'm not going to look too much into it. But now you Mm -hmm. look at, at some of these games and you're like, that's not just a tile wall. That that tile wall has some history to it. It has some some story going there. You can tell it's a uh, what the environment's like, like how moist it is determines like what that room, how humid or or, or damp that room is, right? And you, mm-hmm. you're you're trying to sell those stories just through a material. So yeah. the materials are just as important, or if not more important, than the modeling aspect. And then on top of that, you've got the lighting artists. So again, with the Lone Echo stuff, I didn't touch any of the lights. We have a fantastic team who purely focus on lighting, and that's all they do. And then uh, as well as that in, in the Lone Echo stuff, there's a few props on the walls or like high-density, small assets. We start to realize like even though it, it's technically part of the environment, we need it to be really, really densely detailed. And so we're going to outsource that to a prop team. So that's where you want your, you want to find kind of the path you want to go down. Do I want to be modeling these large environments? Do I want to be making loads of cool materials to fill those environments? Do I want to be creating the lights, which create the light, uh, the style and the mood of these environments? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to be creating the smaller assets, which people get to hold and look at and play with or, or just take that environment to that next? level you're know, like the cherry on top of the cake with the props it's just like those little extra assets which just give a bit of story so is there anything out there right now that you think is like substance or like some of these other programs that you think you know anybody can get in on the ground floor um i think so i mean i use a lot of marvelous designer that's like my go-to for cloth and i guess if you're a characterized like get on that <laughs> you know yeah, totally. you can start to tell now who's uh, simulating cloth on an outfit and who's sculpting it and it's mm-hmm. it's night and day like sometimes i mean you've got your incredible sculptors like they sculpt cloth like no one's business but like oh man I, i've worked with some of the best if not the best i mean steve lord to me is still the, literally probably the best sculptor in our industry yeah and, you uh, see some people they'll make like a naked body with just like a drape of cloth and you're like right. fuck off did you make that cloth like you, who you what how are you kidding me right now like <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair enough you know but i you know like i said i've seen steve uh sculpt but even steve doesn't compare to marvelous you know marvelous and especially in terms of speed it's just yeah it does, the, the it, speed is just insane yeah i i place a, a boxes in there or a table and i i just throw a cloth in similar and it's just mm-hmm. like it drastically changes the environment i want all my tools in in one box but no i got sometimes you gotta go outside the box to find the right tool and that for me was marvelous designer that to me can change any environment it can completely change the quality bar just through that alone so that for me is is one of the key softwares i love to throw in stuff there's obviously substance i've been trying more and more because i I don't do it at work because i'm 3d modeling primarily Mm -hmm. but i love to learn more about substance designer nodes and substance painter like 
paying props in Substance Painter is so fun. I just put some music on and start jamming stuff and just like, mm. I'll spend the whole evening just painting a suitcase and I had the funnest time. Like, I could be playing some video games, but instead I'm paying a suitcase because it's such a fun software. But you know, uh, along those lines, because you, your 3D modeling is the thing that you you do most, correct? Yeah. So what do you think about rounded shaders, rounded edges? And uh, Wes just built his own filter insights for Substance Painter that bevels all edges. Oh, wow. Yeah. You no. Know, um, so I Moto see this a lot it. with the, the Moto stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've mentioned this same several times, but like Tor, Tor Frick. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he's he's the guy who inspired so many people, right? Like he wow, was, man. he's always been out there and like still incredible. Like a lot of his art now is, is I start to realize it's, it's kind of same. He's figured out his style, but like if you have a chance to even watch one of his streams, if he even does them anymore, like you, you, oh my God, in an hour of that, you can learn so much. But the rounded edge shaders, I, I don't know. I've not really used them very much. It's very, very difficult to say. We have such a talented team at our studio, tools team, and they just do an incredible job of just making our, our work easier. It's actually a nightmare coming home and using Maya because <laughs> Maya, is, it feels like Autodesk has fallen off, off the tree, right? Like You've seen all these, Blender and Moto. Oh, wow. You've seen these really? videos and you're like, yeah. wow, what they're doing look at them booleans and you're just drooling over those booleans mm-hmm. and then you go into Maya and you run a boolean and it'll mess oh. up your geometry or crash the software and you're just like yeah. what is going on but yeah. like our tools team is so incredible they they help refine a lot of our pipeline and like we have a whole bevel pipeline of our own which saves so much time i'm, I'm yet to use a bunch of plugins out there which i mean that the results look great i just don't know what the what the process is like if i was to run that bevel shader thing in, in Moto, like, does it give me the geometry at the end? I, I'm still very confused by it. Mm-hmm. it it's something I, I, again, you're always learning, right? So yep. <laughs> always push back to that. All right. Well, that's that's in and of itself enough. And I don't want to keep you too much longer. I got you for an hour. So, <laughs> Ash, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for looking at some of the students working for um, talking to me about this, man. It's been a yeah, real Yeah, thanks pleasure. for inviting me. It's it's been great. Yeah. Really Absolutely. been looking forward to it since you invited me to the podcast. So <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Laguna Beach. Give me a call next time you're here and I'll come join you for coffee or something. Sure. That sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.